We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Republicans say the debt ceiling deal gives a blank check to Democrats. It's unacceptable. I I hope that it doesn't pass. I will not vote for it. Questions over Senator Feinstein's health remains, but she refuses to retire her seat. We should look at term limits, which is something that Donald Trump said, because we've got people who just think that they should stay there for in perpetuity. Coles joins Target and Bud Light facing a major boycott after catering to the woke crowd. It's worked quite effectively, actually. It's worked with Bud Light, it's not worked with Target, or as we say, Target. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, May 30th. I'm Mike Scott. Over the holiday weekend, President Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced a compromise deal on the debt ceiling. We've got good news. We've got a, just spoke with Speaker McCarthy, and we've reached a bipartisan budget agreement that we're ready to move to the full Congress. And I think it's a really important step forward, excuse me. And it takes uh, the threat of catastrophic default off the table, protects our hard-earned and historic economic recovery. And the agreement also represents a compromise, which means no one got everything they want. But that's the responsibility of governing. Speaker McCarthy says he's proud of the deal he was able to negotiate. We finally were able to cut spending. We're the first Congress to vote for cutting spending year over year. So you cut that back. You fully fund the veterans. You fully fund defense. But you take that non-defense spending all the way back lower than 22 levels. Now you get work requirements for TANF and STAMP. We're... The Democrats said that was a red line. Now you're able to reform NEPA. How frustrating we are. With It's been 40 years since you could streamline it. To build a road in America takes you seven years of review. We now limit that where it's focused, where you can only review it for one to two years. We're going to get America working again. We get the process working again, where... We always have these omnibuses at the end of the year. We now penalize Congress if they don't get their jobs done. There is so much in this that's positive. And measure it to all the other debt ceilings. When Republicans had the presidency, the Senate, and the House, did they ever cut spending? No, they increased it. We were able to do this when the president said he wasn't even going to talk to us. This is really a step in the right direction. It puts us a trajectory that's different. We put a statutory cap on only spending 1% for the next six years. So we let government grow, but at a slower rate. Now, according to what's known of the deal, it would largely freeze non-defense discretionary funding in the fiscal year that kicks off in October. It would tighten restrictions for SNAP, take back billions of dollars in unspent COVID relief funding, and limit a portion of the $80 billion in IRS funding Democrats pushed for. Michael Schnell of The Hill explains what happens next. I think we'll have to see which is going to be a heavier lift because obviously, as we saw 
It took weeks of Kevin McCarthy pushing President Biden to the negotiating table and then more than a week of those high level talks between deputies of both the president and Speaker McCarthy to actually land an agreement, turn it into legislative text. And then yesterday we saw the text of that bill. So that part was a very heavy lift. That part is done. But now the whipping process begins, right? Uh, right. Congressional leaders actually have to get this bill over the finish line. Now, moder- uh, conservatives and liberals are already voicing concerns about this bill, which wasn't really a surprise, right? It's a compromise between McCarthy and Biden. So we knew both sides weren't going to get everything they wanted. So it's likely that a number of conservatives and a number of progressives will not vote for this bill. The question is, how many of those moderate lawmakers, those lawmakers who are in the middle of the ideological spectrum will vote for this bill and actually push it over the finish line. Ultimately, Schnell believes the bill will pass. I think that it'll get passed before then because lawmakers have said that they trust Janet Yellen and what she says that she has an immense amount of experience to know when this X date is and they trust her. So when she came out last week and said, we will not have enough cash to pay our bills by June 5th. I think that upped the pressure on lawmakers, lift the fire behind them, and they are now going to work to get something over the finish line. Now if there's an agreement and text, it's just a matter of passing it. So they're going to do everything that they can to make it by that June 5th deadline, and I think they will. Now Republican Representative Dusty Johnson of South Dakota believes that the deal that was struck between the White House and the Speaker's office is probably the best deal Republicans have made in quite some time. This is an historic conservative accomplishment. Four things I'd say to them. First off, this is the largest ever spending cut, $2.1 trillion in the 10-year window. Number two, it's the largest ever clawback or rescission of funds, $29 billion of COVID funds. Number three, it's the largest improvement ever in environmental siting since the passage of NEPA in 1970. It's going to unlock American energy. And then number four, this is the largest change to welfare reform the biggest improvement to work requirements since the 1996 Act. This is a big deal. And unless I get it, there are always going to be members like Bob Good, who I think have expectations that are detached from reality. But this is a great deal. But not everyone is happy with the proposed deal. Progressive Democrat Pramila Jayapal says, in her opinion, it is a terrible deal. Terrible policy absolutely terrible policy, does not reduce spending, actually, by some estimates, creates a burden on administrative spending that is actually worse for, you know, for overall cost of a program like that. Republican Representative Michael Waltz of Florida weighs in, saying his concerns are how the deal will impact national defense. I have real concerns. Uh, I think uh, this does a lot of good. My concerns are national security, and I think the number one job of the federal government is to keep us safe. I know there are those out there who say, look at the billions we spend on, uh, on defense. However, Republican Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina simply says the deal is, quote, insane, end quote. We presented the Senate with a uh, a bill that had 218 votes. It was common sense uh, legislation that had work requirements. It repealed the IRS agents. It it repealed the uh, college tuition payout. It set the 24 budget at 22 levels. uh, And it had a $1.5 trillion increase for various things in this bill, among others, that uh, offset that. Now, what I'm hearing, and I still 
don't have a written copy of what's been agreed to by uh, the speaker, but that's not what we sent him up to do. Uh, to What we were told was this bill would be the minimum that we could add cost to it. A lot of us wanted far more spending cuts uh, than what we had. So uh, I don't know what's in the final bill, but from what I'm hearing, it's unacceptable. Uh, I hope that it doesn't pass. I will not vote for it. If, if we're raising the spending debt limit to $4 trillion and putting it past the election, uh, that's insanity. Meanwhile, for the moment, the White House was able to hold off any rollbacks of its student debt relief in the deal. However, the future of that program remains constitutionally uncertain as the Supreme Court is preparing to decide in the coming weeks whether to allow President Biden to move ahead with canceling even more debt. Russia has issued an arrest warrant for Senator Lindsey Graham. Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley tells us what Graham said and why the Russians are angry. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina said on an edited video of a meeting with Ukraine's President Zelensky that the Russians are dying and described U.S. military assistance to Ukraine as the best money we've ever spent. He appeared to make the remarks in different parts of the conversation, but the video by Ukraine's presidential office put them next to each other, causing outrage in Russia. Calls for Democrat California Senator Dianne Feinstein to step down amid health concerns are growing. According to recent reports, the senator was confused last year after observing Vice President Kamala Harris presiding over the Senate for a tie-breaking vote. The report suggests the 89-year-old seemed to be unaware as to why Harris was taking on her role as president of the Senate. 89-year-old California Democrat is vowing to stay in office through her term, despite being confined to a wheelchair as she recovers from a series of health issues. Now, the New York Times reporting, since returning to Washington, Feinstein has missed six votes and has not participated in any committee hearings or caucus lunches. And the Washington Post speaking to a divided California Democratic delegates over the weekend. This is from one from Rosemary Williman. She's just following orders as best she can at this point. She's not herself. Marsha Conant, on the other hand, said it's extraordinary, her career, and I think that's getting minimized, and that makes me angry. This year, the California Democrat was absent from the Senate from February until May as she dealt with complications from shingles. Upon her return to the Senate, Feinstein grappled with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome that stemmed from her shingles. A week after coming back to Capitol Hill following her three-month absence, Feinstein appears unaware that she had been away. After a reporter asked on May 16 about her colleague's response to her return, Feinstein claimed she never left. What has the response from your colleagues been like? What have the well wishes? What have you heard? What have I heard about what? About your return. How have they felt about your no, return? No, I haven't been gone. Okay. <laughs> Um, you should follow me. I haven't been gone. I've been working. You've been working from home is what you're saying? No, I've been here. Um, I've been voting. Please, either know or don't know. Reports suggest Feinstein has relied heavily on aides to function since her return to the upper chamber. Staffers pushing her wheelchair 
reminding her how and when she should vote and explaining what is happening when she becomes confused. Because of this, many Democrats are calling for Feinstein to step down, among them representatives from the progressive wing, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Johanna Mosca, host of the Press Advance podcast, explains why the Feinstein situation is so complicated for Democrats. Democrats in this state are very divided. You know, this Senate race, you've got Adam Schiff trying to run for Senate. You've got uh, Barbara Lee, who is a, a congresswoman trying to run for Senate. And you've got Katie Porter, uh, also a congresswoman, trying to run for Senate. And they all have their own alliances. So as I understand, the people who are backing Adam Schiff very much want Dianne Feinstein to stay in that seat because mm. if she would retire, Gavin Newsom, who's the governor, has already promised he's going to appoint a black woman, which, as I understand, you could appoint like an Oprah Winfrey, but Barbara Lee's folks, the Congressional Black Caucus, the state Democratic leaders are all saying, if you do that, like, we will not support you running for president. The podcast host says that Gavin Newsom has to take into account any future presidential aspirations. So if he <laughs> wants to run for president at all, eventually he's got pressure coming from every different way on who he would appoint to that seat. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, Nancy Pelosi is actually related to Gavin Newsom because we keep it all in the family, evidently, here in California. <laughs> and so so you've got pressure from all sides on, on what to do. Pressure, Meanwhile, pressure. Dianne Feinstein's not doing anything. Moscow believes that while term limits may be very popular among voters, it's not very popular with those in Congress. You know, we should look at term limits, which is something that uh, Donald Trump said, because we've got people who just think that they should stay there for in perpetuity. But it's not very popular with establishments of the Democratic or Republican parties, it turns out, because the establishments are very pro-incumbency. And so, you know, Rokana ran against an incumbent with Mike Honda, and there's still a lot of bad feelings. So as popular as he may be within California Democratic circles, he does not always have that much support. And the other thing that I will say that some folks are in, in Congress reminding me is that even if Gavin appoints a replacement, it's not a sure thing that they could make sure that that replacement is on the Judiciary Committee. Feinstein announced in February she would not run for re-election in 2024, but that she would finish the remainder of her term. She has served in the upper chamber for 30 years. An historic impeachment trial in Texas to determine whether Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton should be permanently removed from office will begin no later than August in the state Senate. Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer has the very latest on this story from the Lone Star State. The Texas Senate has unanimously adopted a measure that calls for the trial to begin not later than August 28th. Paxton was suspended from office Saturday when the GOP-controlled Texas House of Representatives overwhelmingly voted to impeach the three-term attorney general. Paxton has been dogged by ethical and criminal accusations since taking office in 2015. He has called the House investigation that led to his impeachment corrupt. I'm Lisa Dwyer. 
Add Kohl's to the list between Target and Bud Light of boycotted companies due to their LGBTQ merchandise geared toward infants and young kids. This shopper took to social media to voice her concerns over the retail giant. And here we have another one. Kohl's has now made a baby onesie that is promoting transgender ideology to kids as young as three months old with this baby's onesie and matching rainbow tights. And here's the thing. This entire pride collection, the boycotting target, has never had anything to do with the LGBTQ in general. It has never had to do with gay people. It has never had to do with Pride Month. It is the fact that it is being shoved in Americans' faces. It has to do with the fact that it's targeting children. It has always been about targeting children. Why do babies need a onesie, a baby onesie, with a pride flag on it. They don't. It is blatant virtue signaling, and it is not okay what our universe is doing to signal to children in the transgender movement. It is disgusting. Filmmaker Ami Horowitz says that while he used to be against boycotts, he does believe it's time conservatives start flexing their consumer muscles. I've always been of uh, the view that we should not use economic boycotts we have political disagreements. That has always been my view for many, many years. I've changed that view. Um, the other side has weaponized economics. They've weaponized boycotts to push their particular agenda and has been extraordinarily effective. Uh, for that reason, I changed my mind a couple of years ago. I think we have to wield the same weapon. I think it's, it's damaging to all of us in the U.S. and the world to do such a thing. But I don't see it as any kind of choice. Yes, it has worked. It's worked quite effectively, actually. It's worked with Bud Light. It's not worked with Target, or as we say, Target. Um, it's, it's awful that we've come to this position, but this is where we are, and we have to fight fire with fire. And it, it, it pains me to say that, but yes, economic boycotts are very, very effective. Horowitz explains that he believes that a large part of why the boycotts against Bud Light and Target and now Kohl's are so effective is because those who aren't politically engaged are now saying the LGBTQ plus agenda is too much. The only thing that's going to save us, to be honest, is um, the the independents, the middle ground, the people who have not been paying attention to politics as acutely as you or I, um, who are saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second, this is crazy. I'm not going to expose my children to this type of behavior. Um, And look, I think Bud Light's a perfect example. I mean, they were crushed after Dylan Mulvaney. And look, the, the, the truth is, uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Michael Seifert is the CEO of Public Square and says that his conservative consumer app, Public Square, has grown exponentially in the wake of boycotts of Target and Bud Light because people are simply looking for alternative places to shop. It's pretty exciting. This week, in response to the Target debacle, because parents especially are so frustrated that this major retail giant is indoctrinating the next generation away from truth and from their family's values, in response to that, we actually at Public Square have for 72 hours been ranked in the top five apps on the entire App Store. Not only that, we've been the number two shopping app on the entire App Store for this entire week, Mm. ahead of Target. Target's ranked number 12. Amazon's ranked 
strike number four. So it's been pretty incredible to witness the response. We've had hundreds of thousands of new consumer members join the platform, thousands of businesses, and the communities continue to blossom. The other thing I'll say too, Will, is that people are recognizing that whether you're looking for household cleaning supplies or a new pair of pants, you should be able to do that with companies that will give you a sense of satisfaction knowing Mm -hmm. that you're not funding your opposition. Several major American corporations recently saw substantial market share losses after marketing products promoting LGBTQ topics and influencers to younger demographics. Target's market share has slipped more than 12.5% since the fewer erupted, as tracked by the Dow Jones Market Data Group, that amounts to about $10 billion in market value. China's foreign minister has pressed his Dutch counterpart for access to advanced chip-making technology that has been blocked on security grounds. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jeremy House. The Chinese official also warned against allowing what he said were unfounded fears of Beijing to spoil relations. Chinese frustration with curbs imposed by the Netherlands, Washington, and Japan on chip technology has added to political strains at a time when Beijing is threatening to attack Taiwan. There was no indication the Netherlands changed its restriction on the supply of lithography machines available only from a single Dutch company that etched tiny circuits on next-generation processor chips. Lack of that tool is holding back Chinese efforts to develop advanced chips. Jeremy House reporting. building that collapsed on Sunday will have to be demolished. Daybreak Insider's Mike Hempen has the very latest. Officials in Davenport say the demolition of what was once the Davenport Hotel will begin Tuesday morning. The collapse injured at least one person and displaced countless residents and business owners. It's not known why the building collapsed, but Davenport Fire Chief Michael Carlston says investigators are searching for a cause. There's been normal rental complaints, but there has been some complaints to the structure. We issued notice and orders to have those repaired. The building owner hired their own engineering firm to direct them and the repairs needed to be made. Residents have not been allowed back inside to remove their belongings due to the building's unstable condition. I'm Mike Hempen. And finally, terrified passengers on board the cruise ship Carnival Sunshine were faced with a storm over the weekend that left lower decks flooded. Downed pipes and toppled doors as the ship prepared to dock in Charleston, South Carolina on Saturday. New video just into the newsroom from a carnival cruise that ended in chaos off the East Coast this weekend. Passengers on the Carnival Sunshine got battered by nasty weather. Take a look at the scene posted on social media as the ship waited to get back to the port in South Carolina. Travelers said they spent those 12 hours waiting to dock, getting rocked by huge waves and lashes rain the entire time. Video showed lower decks flooded when doors knocked off their hinges. So far, we haven't seen any official reports of any injuries. For this passenger, William Blackburn, his first cruising experience left much to be desired. He says while he was on deck six, he and his family were, quote, praying we'd be okay, end quote. 
and went on to say that we discussed the fact that it would be very unlikely that we would survive in the water, even with life jackets, and doubted that lifeboats could be launched in the rough conditions. This passenger's experience wasn't all that different. He says that even though he and his new bride were on their honeymoon, they had to stay in their room because the rocking boat left his wife bedridden. She got really sick and um, we was at sea all day, but we, we basically stayed in our room because she really couldn't do anything. This passenger says that the worst part of the experience was that the crew of the cruise ship weren't communicating with passengers. They left us blind, you know, mm-hmm. not reassuring us, you know, what was going on, where we were heading to, what the plan was. You know, they they could have updated us and let us know something. On Thursday, the National Weather Service had warned that a non-tropical low-pressure system off the southeast coast would bring gusty winds and hazardous boating conditions to the Carolinas, which seemed to be the case as reportedly 80-mile-an-hour winds battered the boat during its treacherous tenure at sea. There were minor injuries reported, and one passenger said you could smell people being sick walking down the hole. The cruise line said the ship is already sailing on its next voyage. Started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or Salem Podcast Network.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.